Hello, my name is Federico Toledo and welcome to the Quality Sense podcast, where you will have the chance to improve your sense for quality by listening to some leaders who are amazing at what they do in the software industry. In each show, I'll have a one-on-one -on -one chat with them discussing specific topics related to software testing and quality. In today's episode, I will be interviewing Bas Dijkstra from the Netherlands. He's an expert on test automation, offering training and consultancy. I've seen Bas trigger some very interesting conversations on LinkedIn, so I wanted to discuss them with him on the show. Listen to this episode if you want to learn more about how to deal with false positives and negatives in test automation and how a tester can contribute in unit testing efforts. Hello, Bas. So nice to have the possibility to talk with you. How are you doing today? I'm doing fine, Federico. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be on this podcast. <laughs> Welcome. Uh, the first question I wanted to ask you is uh, to understand a, a little bit about your background. How did you end up working in software testing? <laughs> um, like, so, like so many people I've met and heard, it was sort of kind of by coincidence. By accident. So, I was expecting that. <laughs> yes. Not really by accident, but by coincidence. Uh, okay. Now, I have a background in computer science. Um, funny thing is over here in the Netherlands, I'm actually one of the exceptions. So I know a lot of people who are working in testing, at least over here in the Netherlands and in Western Europe that are wonderful testers, but don't have a background in computer science. I am one of the few who does have such a background. Um, and after I finished my studies, I didn't really want to become a software developer, but I wanted to work in software development. Um, and I heard some good things about software testing and about the company where I started my software testing career. And one thing basically led to another. And I started out as a junior software tester and never really looked back. And I guess that this influences the fact that you, today you are working in test automation, right? Yeah, you're absolutely right. So or my background in, in computer science, uh, where I learned a lot about software development as well, that starting out in test automation, that was a, a, a logical choice. I actually think within the first six months of my career as a software tester. So obviously I was still doing a lot of testing, but also I, I started exploring the area of test automation. This was back in 2006. So, and then slowly I started doing more in automation first, just as a horrible test automation consultant, basically just creating very bad automation from way <laughs> regression test scripts that were way too long, just translating them into automation uh, from the same perspective as that. And as we all know now, that's probably not the best way to do it. Uh, but we didn't, I didn't, I didn't really know any better back then. Um, so, but yeah, that's what got me interested in test automation and did a lot. I worked with on projects for a lot of different clients. So I had the ability to see a lot of different tools, a lot of different domains. And uh, yeah, that, 
slowly I realized that this was really the area that I wanted to keep working in and and become more proficient at and yeah, start specializing into this specific area of software testing. Okay, excellent. Uh, and you mentioned something. The, the main topic I want to address today with you is related to test automation. But you mentioned you just mentioned something that uh, allows me to to ask you one of the questions I have for you, which is how to become a better tester in test automation. Because I, I read a LinkedIn post you wrote that I loved. Where, where you mentioned that a way to become a better test automator is by learning how to better test software. Can yes, you, yes. Can you elaborate a little bit more about that? Yeah, as I said, I made so many mistakes in, in the past with test automation just by thinking that I could automate everything that a software tester did. <laughs> And I still see a lot of people thinking that that's the end goal of test automation and just to replace everything that a tester does because it's cheaper it's faster it's better it's everything but yeah as we uh, as you and i know um if that's what you expect of test automation you're going to be disappointed really 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 quickly um Why I think you should become a better software tester because to me, I had, um, in my training courses, one of the third things I always ask, uh, especially when I talk about an introduction to test automation course, for example, is what is what are your views on test automation? And people always tell uh, automate existing regression tests or uh, we don't need as much testers or testing anymore. Um, Uh, and my and and the definition I use nowadays for test automation is supporting software testing um, by performing specific tasks that the software tester performs by the use of tools, uh, just to make it more efficient. And that basically covers everything that why I think that uh, you should become a better software tester first. That, just to get a better grasp of what it actually means to be a good software tester. And only then will you be able to see uh, what are the things that a software tester does that can be done more efficiently by tools. And there are a lot, as you know, there are a lot of things that a software tester does that, that, that are just human cognitive tasks that require creativity, um, cre uh, asking a lot of questions making judgments, uh, assessing risks. Tools are not very good at doing that. But there are also a lot of things that the software tester needs to do that can be done more efficiently by tools. So, uh, and that's why I think you should become a better software tester first, uh, to, to, because test automation isn't there to replace the software, it's to help a software tester. And in order to be able to better help you do better testing and do parts of that software testing more efficiently, you should know better what it means actually to be a good software tester before you can apply tools to perform some of the tasks that the tester do, does in a more efficient way. Yeah, and maybe differentiate 
which things can be automated and which Yes, uh, yeah, exactly. Um, as I said, there are a lot of things that require a human brain um, in what a software test that right? there is. Unfortunately, there are still a lot of people who see a tester only as someone who follows a script and puts check marks in boxes. Um, yeah. That's not what a good software tester does. So that's all. Uh, so. Yeah, it definitely is about yeah understanding what it is that the software tester does, and then understanding which of the tasks of that that entire spectrum of tasks and activities what that encompass software testing, which of those activities can be supported by tools. And I guess that doing it right, you can be more efficient as you mentioned, and also gain more confidence on your processes, on your testing, maybe. Yes. But I also seen that many people lose the trust in the test automation, in, the, in, in what they automated. Do you have any insights on how to trust your test automation, how to build it in a way you can really trust in what you get from it? Yes. <laughs> so as I as I said, I started out my career uh, translating existing regression test scripts, which were often uh, multiple pages in length. With and and they they touched on maybe three or four or five different applications, uh, and just automating them verbatim just translating them one-on-one -on -one to automated test scripts uh, and automating everything from an end user perspective so often using a graphical user interface which as we all know are the hardest automated tests to write and everybody starts there um, and because they are the hardest ones to write that there's also a uh, and and for those of you who have been working with tools like Selenium or Cypress or any other tool that interacts with the graphical user interface of an application. No, um, those are the hardest ones to get right. And with get right, I mean um, get stable and um, present reliable information. Because for me, software testing is about uncovering information and those tools and the test automation tools help you uncover, uncover parts of that information in a more efficient manner. And so if you want to trust those tests more, uh, you have to um, make sure that you can rely, safely rely on the information that those tests give you. And th th these tests, they can deceive you in a number of ways. And uh, I often classify them and, and I'm, definitely not the only one here in in false positives and false negatives and these are uh, two different ways in which your test automation can be uh, untrustworthy so to say so uh, let's start with the false positives those are at the, the tests that fail when there's no problem in the application that they're testing. So everybody knows uh, 
about um, and I'm not uh, I'm always using selenium as a, as an example selenium based tests I have I think selenium is a wonderful tool really it it's a great tool and and it's you can use it to write very valuable tests the problem is it's really hard to make those tests valuable and reliable and trustworthy so you should only have a couple of them and make sure that they're extremely reliable and trustworthy um, but unfortunately you see a lot of false positives there so at tests that fail just because it took a couple of milliseconds longer than the maximum allowed wait time before uh, a button appeared or because you had a different screen resolution there was this annoying pop-up that blocked the text field where you wanted to type some text and uh, i'm not going to go into the myriad of ways in which you can deal with this but uh, the problem with that is that people and because these are these tests are so hard to write people spend a lot of time writing that kind of tests and fixing them and rerunning them and say oh it failed i'm just going to run the test again i don't think that's a particularly good strategy to deal with those types of automated tests because how do you at some if if such a test fails often enough people are going to say oh my test failed again okay we know it's unreliable let's just ignore it and that's where things start to go downhill really quickly because if people don't trust the outcome of your automated of your test automation anymore what's the value in creating them in the first place if you were trying to optimize your testing, I'm sure you are not reaching that goal, right? No. So if, if all you're trying to do is have fun with tools and write code with tools and that's it, okay, but as you know, test and, and especially test automation, it's a means to an end. I want to uncover, uncover specific information that I can rely on, that I can trust in a more efficient manner. So, uh, and these false positives are really not all too helpful in doing that because um, they create a lot of noise. And, and, and I've seen a lot of projects, and unfortunately I've worked in a lot of projects where this happened a lot and people just ignored those tests. Uh, and and the problem is if you ignore them long enough people are just going to lose trust in the test automation efforts altogether and yeah and just uh yeah we know we've got some other uh, we've got some tests for that we 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 built some tests for that but they are not all that reliable so let's just have someone um test those things again and so you're going to do things twice and especially if you're moving towards a more rapid deployment where you just can't keep up with all of the releases that you're doing every week, every day, every minute, I don't know. Um, you're going to have to make some tough decisions. Are, are we, yeah, because uh, do we still want to test that? And, and uh, if 
all you have is a bunch of unreliable tests. You're never going to get to the frequency that you want to in a safe and, and, and trustworthy manner. And what about the false negatives? I'd like to make a short pause to thank Abstracta for sponsoring this podcast. Abstracta is a company fully dedicated to software testing that can work with you to push the quality of your product and processes to the next level. What about false negatives? Um, that's a tough one, right? <laughs> that's, a, that's definitely a tough one, yeah. And because false positives, they have one nice trait. They make themselves known. You'll see when they're there yeah, because your build is going to fail. Your monitor on the wall is going to flash red and says, there's a problem here, even though uh, there might be a problem with your test and not with the application that you're testing. But at least they're going to show themselves. With false negatives, that, that, that those are the tests that say, I have passed but they didn't detect um, a bug or an anomaly rather uh, because humans decide whether or not it's a bug. They, they, they didn't detect the deviation or the anomaly that they were supposed to detect. And that's a big problem because those are just as uh, untrustworthy as the false positives, but you don't, uh, you don't know because they run they run it, it maybe you run them 10 times a day, 20 times a day, and they keep say they keep indicating, I have passed, I have passed, so everything's okay. But there still might be a problem, they just didn't pick up on that problem. And uh, those are the, the really tough ones to to deal with and to detect in the first place. And the problem is that you lose trust once you have a problem probably in production with your users, with, with your customers, because someone is going to say, this is not working, this is causing problems. And you see your test and you say, I have a test that says yes. that, that works. So I'm not trusting you anymore. <laughs> exactly. And that's where, yeah, that's, <laughs> that, that's also pretty good because, um, you will know that there's uh, something wrong in your software, just not, it's just not picked up by your test, it's picked up by your users. So, and then they're going to lose trust. And as a result, and the, 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 the people in your team or your manager, and then they're going to lose trust. Didn't we build an automated test for that? Or said, that, why are we spending so much? time and effort and money on creating those automated tests and, and still things slip through. Now, of course, you can't just pick up or detect anything with automated tests. That, that's just an illusion. Uh, you can't test for everything with automated tests. And there are a lot of types of bugs and defects that test automation just doesn't pick up. But uh, and there is a category of defects that definitely should be picked up by test automation. And if 
you think you've got your test automation in place, but it just doesn't pick up on the tests that, or on the defects that it's supposed to detect. Yeah, that's a problem too. So uh, I've, I've seen uh, um, examples, and th 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 this is, I'm, I'm, sadly, I'm not joking here with, with code, test code bases that boasted 95 or even 100% code coverage and where there are a lot of tests that didn't even check anything, that didn't even have any assertions in them. They just, one of them actually included the comment, it doesn't have an assert, but if it completes, then everything is fine. No. <laughs> yes. <laughs> You're tricking yourself with that. <laughs> yes. Yeah, we, we are, we are you kidding here. So, um, so Ed, that those are the, the, the really the, the, the difficult ones to detect in the first place. So, because they don't make themselves known, but they can be just as, uh, if not more, hurtful when it comes to trusting your test automation. The way the way I see it is like uh, this: is, we are talking about trust. So it's very similar to what happens with a relationship with someone. Uh, you, you don't just build trust and forget it. You have to continue working on this relationship, on this trust in order to, to keep it, right? And, exactly. Uh, really challenging. Yeah, exactly. So I think uh, it's, it's very important and uh, I'm, I'm trying to uh, help uh, clients and, and, and teams and companies that I work with uh, just being aware of uh, the fact that uh, once you created uh, a, 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 a set of automated tests, you're not finished. With, uh, you, you need to make sure periodically, and, and what periodically means is, is different for every team and every organization, that your tests can still okay, can still be trusted. Yeah, you need to, to just test your tests when you're creating them, but also periodically when, um, when they are part of your uh, of your test automation suite, and just go through them on a regular basis and see uh, do they still have that defect detection power that. Uh, they are supposed to have. Are they still valuable in the first place? Because um, every test adds to your test code base, which means maintenance, which takes time and effort and therefore money. So I think it's really important. And I, I think there's room for improvement with a lot of teams and organizations there uh, in just periodically going through your set of automated tests and making sure that. Uh, they they can still fail and and they they can still fail for the right reasons and uh, are they still picking up on the anomalies that they were supposed to pick up? Yeah, totally. The other question that I have for you, and it's also because I read something really interesting in your LinkedIn uh, timeline, it's related to unit unit testing. Uh, because I think you are the only tester I've seen supporting the idea 
that testers also have to contribute in unit testing. I think, I, I don't remember someone else uh, saying that we should take care of this as well. So what's your experience? What, uh, what's your view on that? Um, I think you're referring to, to, to some thought I just, uh, I, I, as you said, I posted on LinkedIn like a couple of days ago. Um, I was actually surprised by the amount of, of reactions that got and the, the variety in all the, the comments. And uh, I'm glad there were a lot of people who supported it. So I'm definitely not the only one. So I, I would never claim to be the only one who supports this notion. Uh, but there were also uh, a lot of people said, I'm not going to do that. That's a developer's task. And I thought that to, I, I, I thought actually that that was a little um, interesting. <laughs> Let's call it interesting. Uh, everybody's entitled to their own opinion, but I think that as a tester, you uh, and I, I, was, I never said that you have to. Uh, some people thought I meant that testers should, should be responsible responsible for writing the unit tests. That that's not what I meant to say there. It's all, I'm not I'm also not saying that every tester has to do everything because some people say yeah we have so many other tasks and how are we going to do this too i just said just think about it talk about it with your with your team with your developers with other people about what is it that you do in your unit testing and uh, how can i as a tester help um, improving improve your unit testing efforts because uh, i love unit tests honestly because they're perceived as difficult by a lot of testers because it involves code and it involves knowing something about the internals of the application that you're testing about about your application code base I'm sure that's absolutely true so there is this barrier there maybe but and still, there are so many ways in, in which you can contribute as a tester without being the sole person responsible for writing those unit tests because I don't think that's a healthy uh, situation either. It's just as a tester, you can say, oh, just go and, and collaborate with a developer. Let's just, just pick an hour somewhere and say well can you talk me to a couple of those unit tests that you write and what do they do what do they pick up on uh, what are they meant to meant to test and, and maybe uh, if only to get a better understanding of what that developer is actually testing with their unit tests and and maybe you can already see well if you're testing that condition or that parameter value why not test this one as well? Because I think that's a possible, and that's something that, uh, that that's a value that that parameter can take under these and these conditions. So maybe it's a good idea to have a test for that as well. And but only by that suggestion, you're already improving the quality of your unit tests. And the fun thing about unit testing is that they're relatively, they run very fast. They're relatively easy to write once you know 
uh, how to you know once you have some knowledge about the internals of your application code and of course given that your application code is structured in a way that makes it relatively easy to write unit tests but that's a whole different discussion that i do not want to go into and <laughs> just testability of your code um just by doing that and and you learn a lot about the system you learn about what's tested on a unit level so you don't have to repeat that in another level and maybe you can do some suggestions make some suggestions about how to improve that uh, that unit testing those unit testing efforts so and because those are those tests run fast they run often they run they often run very early in the process so you're just moving it teeny tiny bit of your testing activities a little to the left or to the front of your software development life cycle i i think that can be very valuable it's very it's very interesting because i i'm thinking now that uh, doing those pair reviews or or code reviews with with a developer you can learn a lot and also instruct the developer about testing techniques, maybe different ways to combine different variables in a more efficient way using a pairwise coverage or something like this. So you are contributing with your knowledge about software testing yes. to, to the developer. And also it's really interesting what you mentioned about learning what the developers are testing so we don't repeat the same things in other layers, in the APIs or in the UI automation, for example. Yeah, and and I, I I was honestly surprised by some people who were very vocal about that. Is, that's a developer's job. That's not something that testers do. And I said, well, it it's called unit testing. Why shouldn't you? <laughs> Why are testers not? Um, why are testers not allowed in to to contribute to that? And said so it. And again, it's not something that should be done just by a tester. It's not just the tester's responsibility. But I think that yeah, there's there's a lot of room for improvement uh, in a lot of development teams. There, I, I have to recognize that. I've been there. I've been saying that <laughs> that it's not a tester's task, but uh, I do believe that we could contribute and collaborate with that. Yeah. So and um, and and this this is uh, and it's it's all a a learning process. And 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 maybe it and of course it, in in some situations with some teams it works better than with other teams and there are so many variables there but i think why not just even if you're you're as a why not just try it out and pick um, a a suitable piece of the code or maybe if you have a um, a a a bug that that showed up in production that you want to write tests for uh, uh, together with the with the patch that you're uh, that you're creating uh, why not uh, just pair with the developer on uh, uh, okay so what happened with this bug where in the code uh, did it go wrong 
what should we test for to not make it go wrong again uh, and just start that discussion and and uh, and my experience with doing that have been very positive and, and because it, it there's uh, it does wonders for the for the collaboration between your developer and your tester Absolutely. Bas, uh, I have a couple of final questions for you. Um, first of all, which book um, would you recommend uh, people listening to the to the podcast? Oh wow! Um, I must. I didn't give that much thought, and I always see uh, also in my. Uh, LinkedIn timeline and in uh, on other social media and other stuff, I always see people recommending these uh, self-improvement books and business advice books and stuff. Like I'm a I'm an avid reader, but I read a lot of fiction. So um, at the moment, I'm going through the entire bibliography of John Grisham. And okay, it's not very intellectual, but it's uh, I use uh, reading mainly as uh, just to wind down after a day's work, stuff like that. So um, a general rec re recommendation from me would be to uh, just read more fiction and don't be afraid to let the people know. You don't have to just pose up. Read, uh, see how many um, self-help and, and self-improvement and business books I put in my suitcase when I went on holiday. So, um, but if I'd have to recommend one uh, non-fiction book, it would be uh, Essentialism by, I don't know if you've heard of it or read it. It's written by Greg McKeown. And it's, yeah, I'm, I've read it five or six times now. I try and read it every year. I reread it every year. And uh, what it basically is about is about doing less and doing the things that you do in a better way. So uh, um, I've got a problem and my problem is that I, uh, I have a hard time saying no because I enjoy a lot doing a lot of different things. Uh, as we already said in the introduction, I'm working on, on, on a lot of different things in parallel, stuff like that. And that's how I like to work. But um, I need to, sometimes I need to refocus again on what's really important and what's maybe less important or what can be done at a later time or what doesn't contribute to where I want to end up in, I don't know how long. So, and, and this is a book that really helps me there, really, because it gives you a lot of practical tips about figuring out what's really important and learning to say no to the things that aren't as important. Thank you for this recommendation because uh, now I, I think this is what I need to read, you know? <laughs> it's a skill I need to develop. <laughs> uh, yeah, there, and there's the, I'm the same and I'm sure there are a lot of others who, who struggle with this as well. For sure. Um, okay, and the last question is, would you like to invite the audience to do anything? 
if you want to react or have some opinions on what we've discussed, I uh, I'm always happy to talk with fellow testers and people from development and any basically anybody in who's involved in software development about uh, test automation. So uh, just uh, send me an email or um, send an invite on LinkedIn. Uh, I'm I'm pretty active over there as well. And uh, if you're at all interested in training in in the test automation phase um that's as uh, as we discussed before we started that's one of the um one of the things that i mainly do these days uh yeah um just contact me and see where i can help i have a, my training portfolio is online at my website and i'm i'm pretty sure you're going to include that in the show notes so i'm not going to mention it because <laughs> just <laughs> rambling so, off a url just doesn't really work i i will include that for sure and consider that now it's easier to to participate in your in your workshops and trainings because uh, you're offering it offering it uh, online right Yes, uh, because of the, the whole COVID situation, a lot of the training that was supposed to happen live and in person in a, in, in, in a classroom or an office somewhere have moved online. So uh, I've gained a lot of experience over the last six months or so with conducting training online. So uh, yeah, and that also opened up my training services to teams and companies who uh, are in different time zones. Yeah, absolutely. I'm sure that we all agree that it would be better to travel to Netherlands to have a, <laughs> a face-to-face training with you. It, it, this would be a much better option, but nowadays we have to deal with, uh, with yes, it. Yes, I'm, I'm looking uh, and I'm things are slowly opening up again at least over here so uh, i'm really happy to uh, slowly start doing face-to-face training again in the next couple of weeks uh, but yeah um yeah the, the the whole travel thing with which i uh, which i like to do as well uh, a couple of times a year that's that'll that'll probably uh not happen for for a while so yeah that and then uh doing training online is is a is a great alternative yeah great thank you so much Vas. i really enjoy talking with you and and i learned a lot thank you so much for having me federico with uh, federico it was it was a pleasure have fun bye bye have fun bye bye I hope your sense for quality got better after this conversation. Thank you so much for listening and please subscribe to Quality Sense Podcast. Tell your friends, your family, your colleagues or whoever you think can benefit from listening to it. I hope to see you soon. Adios amigos. Bye.